Welcome to the Patchpreneur Podcast. This is the show where every week we teach you how to make a living doing what you love and how to get paid for what you know by building passion-driven revenue streams. I am your host, Ryan C. Green. You can follow me on all social media at Rod G Speaks. If you're an entrepreneur, a leader in your field, a dreamer who just needs help putting it all together or simply aspire to be more than you have been, this is the show for you. If you haven't done so already, make sure you click the follow or subscribe button on whatever podcast player you're listening to the show on right now. We're on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, you name it. Follow us, leave a comment, and share the episode with your friends. Don't keep all this goodness to yourself. Help the circle around you grow with you. And if you're listening today, I want to make a special offer to you that you can go ahead and pick up your copy of the book, Becoming a Passionpreneur. You can start your journey now. The book that inspired the podcast, inspired the movement. I want to uh, give you a copy of the book. That's right. You can go and get the entire book, which teaches all the secrets and steps to make uh, to take you to reignite your fire within and start getting paid for what you know about building passenger revenue streams. You want to get a copy of that book, you can go to www.passionpreneurbook.com. Passionpreneurbook.com right now. You can go ahead and get your copy. And there's some special gifts for those who get it only because you got the link from listening to this show. So let's jump right in because I'm excited about today's uh, episode. We have a gentleman on uh, the show today who has has always his entire life done phenomenal things. But right now we're going to talk about uh, the most recent thing he's done. And this is a name that if you don't know, uh, you're going to want to know after today. So I want to bring on the show uh, a renowned international speaker. Uh, motivator, uh, best-selling author, uh, Mr. Elvin Dowling. Elvin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on here, you know, and and just full disclosure for those who are listening, Elvin and I, you know, I've known him since I was a kid, honestly. I mean, 20 years old when I met Elvin back at uh, our home by the sea at Hampton University. Uh, Elvin is one of the... Uh, influential leaders who who led me across those burning sands into alpha phi alpha so i've I've followed this gentleman always looked up to him and the work that he's done so elvin thank you for your 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 impact you've had on me personally uh, but we want to also talk about the impact that you're having on not just the black community but america right now so i want to give you a second go go ahead introduce yourself to the listeners those who don't know uh who you are let them know uh who you are and we're going to get into the reason we got you here today well, uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to join you and your wonderful audience. And let me just say, you know, I like to uh, introduce myself as Essie Dowling's baby boy. I was, you know, originally born and raised in South Florida in a uh, part of uh, one of the toughest neighborhoods in Palm Beach County called Pleasant City, which is inside of West Palm Beach, which obviously we see now as the president rolls through on his way to his mansion. But that's home for me. And I went to a, a little uh, black college called Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia, and uh, joined, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And probably one of the most important lessons that I learned as a member of Alpha Phi Alpha is that you can always tell an alpha man, you just can't tell him much. And so those experiences have kind of shaped me uh, to who I am. But uh, as of right now, uh, I am a 
author and uh, a full-time entrepreneur. But prior to doing that, I served as chief of staff first for Alpha Phi Alpha at its national office in Baltimore and then for the National Urban League on Wall Street in New York City where I helped African-Americans and other individuals of color uh, to enter the social and economic mainstream. And so that's a little bit about who I am and, and what I do. Awesome. Awesome. And, and that work has taken you to where, we, where we're here to talk about today. You have a new book uh, that was released not too long ago, not even maybe just over a month ago. Uh, and it's still at the top uh, of bestsellers list on Amazon. We want to talk about your book called Still Invisible. And it's actually a question. Still Invisible? So hopefully, you know, Still Invisible is a question mark. Examining America's Black Male Crisis. Elvin, this book, you know, uh, I let me just start with the title before you before I let you go in, because that title, <laughs> you know, it spoke to me when I saw it, because I can't tell you how many times I've you know, tried to, to stress to others that feeling of just not being seen. You know, it's just like we don't exist and just how people can walk through their lives and, and we can live parallel lives and people don't know we're here uh, as a black man, as a, as a, a African-American in general. Uh, so what was it that motivated you about that, uh, that to use that title and kind of go down uh, this uh, this route for the book? Well, I appreciate that question, and I'm glad you noticed the question mark uh, at the uh, end of that title, still invisible question mark. And uh, first, let me just say that what motivated me to write the book was this constant feeling as if I did not exist in the world. You walk out into the world, and it really didn't matter how I was dressed, how, how I presented myself. I could have on a three-piece suit, which is my uh, attire of choice most of the time. Uh, but sometimes I have on a sweatshirt uh, and, and tank top, and it really doesn't matter how I presented myself in the world. More often than not, I felt as if I were invisible. And so that kind of sparked the idea of writing a book of this nature. But what got me to the, to the title itself and that question mark was it was important for me, Ryan, to make sure that we presented the work that is found and still invisible in a means that would allow the reader to come to their own conclusions. And so I, I took very uh, painstaking steps to make sure that I did not present the data that is found and still invisible in a way that was skewed to shift the reader uh, to their own conclusions. And so I, I strove not to make any conclusions, thus the question, are we still invisible? And I think that you and I obviously know the answer to that. But uh, for those that may not know the answer to that, the book is designed to get them to a point where they can answer that question for themselves. Are we still invisible? Maybe we are. Maybe we aren't. You just have to read the book to find out. You know, and, and that's that's awesome. I love the way that you, uh, you know, as I was going through the book and I noticed you, you have stats, you have surveys, you have uh, research. So, you know, it's not about having to go back and forth and argue with people, you know, you know, the saying men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Well, we know numbers can be manipulated sometimes too. However, just for the sake of what the, the saying supposed to mean, you have, you know, factual data, you have research, you have uh, information. So you don't have to go back and forth and try to convince someone, Hey, I'm not being seen. They can go and read this book. And it's kind of one of those things that if, if you're faced with the facts and you're still trying to deny certain things, then you really got to question yourself and what it is that, that you 
uh, are refusing to see and why you're refusing to see those things. Uh, so talk to us about how you put this book together, because I want to you know, tell people this is a, a huge book. You know, this is not some, you know, you know, a little small book. This is a a, a book that really should be, uh, I think, you know, mandatory reading for everyone. Uh, you know, I mean, class, this is like something that can be done in, you know, a, a college class is made out of this. Talk to us about how you put the book together, the research you did uh, for the book. Sure. Well, first, let me say that the book was, uh, as they say back in my home church, it was a long time coming. Right. And what really sparked the the need to write the book was the deaths of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. And I found myself constantly yelling at the television. And I kept saying, somebody ought to say something about that. Somebody ought to write a book. This is not the narrative that defines who we are as African-American men. And I kept yelling and I kept yelling and I kept saying somebody needed to do something. And it turns out that somebody was me. And so I started a five-year process of research and writing. And it was important to me to make sure that this book could be a tool that, uh, and it really was a passion project, but I wanted to make sure that it could be a tool that could be used by the reader to uh, answer any questions that they had about African-American men. Let's lay out the facts as they are. Some of the facts are good in our favor. Some of the facts are not uh, when it comes to who we are and and, uh, our place in this country. And so when I structured the book, I did not anticipate, nor did I plan to write a 550-page book. It just sort of ended up that way. And how the book is structured is I took the opportunity to identify 15 African-American men from all walks of life. And uh, I asked them the same questions. And so we interviewed Trayvon Martin's uh, family's attorney. We interviewed an African-American scientist. We interviewed uh, Khalif Browder's brother. Uh, He does the closing of our book. You may remember Khalif Browder uh, from the Netflix Time show where they arrested him for stealing a backpack that he didn't steal. He closes out the book. We have Congressman Alcee Hastings, who is the dean of the Florida delegation. He opens up the book with the foreword, but it's those 15 brothers in between that that help us to kind of dissect 15 issues that impact African-American men in a real and meaningful and significant way. And so we have chapters. Uh, for example, one of our chapters is Can You Help a Brother Out? And it is about uh, African-American unemployment, and it opens up uh, quoting the song Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, which a lot of people sing all the time, sitting in the morning sun. I'll be sitting when the evening comes, watching the ships roll in. Then I'll watch them roll away again, sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. Well, that song is about African-American unemployment. And so we we delved into that and we discovered a you know number of interesting things. One of the first things we discovered, Ryan, was that it really doesn't matter if you've got a degree, if you're black, uh, you're always, almost always in America going to be the last one hired and the first one fired. Very difficult, even with a PhD, to get employment as an African-American male in this country. One of our chapters 
uh, is entitled, What Do You Call a Black Man with a PhD? And, you know, for those history buffs, you may remember that Malcolm X would often ask that question, what do you call a black man with a PhD? And so we, we delve into a number of different issues. And one of the great things about each chapter is that every chapter is a question. And so we ask the question, what do you call a black man with a Ph.D., uh, which deals with higher education and social mobility? We ask the question, fixed or broken, which deals with our criminal justice system and examining the issues and the underlying things that go on when it comes to African-American men and the criminal justice system. But let me just wrap this question up by saying this. Every single chapter in the book has the same sort of flow. It it starts out with an essay uh, or a letter, so to speak, by Lady Justice, and she's really the only fictionalized character in the book. And so we look at the perspectives of, of crime, justice, life in America through the eyes of Justicia, uh, which is a Greek goddess, Lady Justice. And then after she introduces the plot, so to speak, for that chapter, we delve into the story behind the person that we're featuring. But every single chapter ends with the same three things. First thing we start with, we call it uh, the survey says. And what we did, Ryan, was really interesting. I actually used a proprietary tool. We, we went through Pollfish, and we polled 400 Americans from all walks of life. It was important for me to make sure that the poll reflected how America looked. And so 50% of our poll respondents were male, 50% were female, 60% were white, 18% were Hispanic, 12% were African-American, so forth and so on. And we asked them very, very critical questions. What do you think about black people? What do you think about black men in various walks of life? And they gave us their real opinions. And so the book is going to shed light on some serious opinions that people have of African-American men. That's the section called The Survey Says. And then there's the section called By the Numbers, where we look at, we say, okay, well, what are the facts when it comes to black men and unemployment? What are the facts? When it comes to black men in the criminal justice system, what are the facts? When it comes to black men being fathers, what are the facts? One of the misnomers, for example, is that African-American men don't take care of their children. But the research actually shows us that African-American men are more involved in the lives of their children today than any other racial subgroup in America. Wow. More, whether, whether or not they're living with mom or, or not, they are more involved in the day-to-day lives of their children than any other group of men in America. But that's not what you see on TV. Never. And so by the numbers kind of breaks that down. And then the last part, and I'll stop talking, the last part uh, of every chapter we, we call prescriptions for progress, where we say, okay, we know what the opinions are when it comes to all of these 15 different issues. We know what the facts are when it comes to these 15 different issues. But based on the facts, based on the opinions, based on where we are right now, what can you, Ryan Green, what can you, Eldon Dowling, do right now to help make the lives of African-American men better? And so we lay out uh, in the entire book about 90 policy prescriptions that you can do right now when it comes to voter empowerment. What can you do right now? If you've got reliable transportation, you can help register people to vote. You can drive them to the polls on Election Day. So there are some practical solutions 
in every, at the end of every single chapter on what we can do right now to help make the lives of black men better. And that's essentially how the book is structured. Man, that's powerful because it's not just a, a book where we're putting out the problem. It's not just a book where we're, you know, opining on what we think and believe. But the, the solutions part, the, the, the action plan is really what's, uh, you know, going to make that change that we want to see. Uh, so I, I love how you put it all together. And, and, and you know what I'm thinking as you were talking, you know, it's something that it sounds like, you know, I haven't gotten through the whole, I'll be honest, I haven't gotten through the whole entire book yet. But, you know, just pick one, pick something that speaks to you, pick something that you that can impact you uh, right now that you can go, uh, you know, and, and say this chapter is what I'm going to read. This is what I'm going to focus on. And these are the decisions uh, the movements uh, that, the, that I'm going to take. This is what I'm going to do to help this uh, situation right now. So, you know, don't feel like you got to go into the whole entire book and, and, and change every single issue. Find where you fit in and, and what role you can play in the progress of the book. So that's that, that's awesome. You know, and I want to give a shout out because some of the uh, gentlemen that you you featured in the book, you know, I'm looking at them like I know half these guys. So, you know, this is awesome, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and I love that because, uh, you know, there aren't these aren't all, you know, famous uh, A-list celebrity type people you interview. These are real people who are walking the walk, talking the talk, you know, so I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of them. Uh, Patrick Hines, John Bullock, Miles Caggins, Roy Tatum. Even Reverend Body, I was like, man, he taught me English in, in uh, freshman year in Hampton. So, you know, awesome, awesome collection of gentlemen that you have in the book as well. So uh, I, I want to go in. Well, before we get to that, because one of the things I want to stress that you talk about in, in the book is that this book is about examining America's black male crisis. But we want to uh, specify that this is not a black America uh, crisis, but this is an American crisis. This is America's problem. So talk to us about that and why it's so important that everyone understand that this is an American problem and, and, and what we can do to uh, you know, move, change that narrative for people. You know, that's, that's such an important point. And I am going to say something that may be a shocker to some uh, and uh, may be a disappointment to others. But this book, the primary target audience for this book, are not African-American men. Mm. Now, to be clear, we want African-Americans from all walks of life to read the book, uh, to imbibe it, to understand uh, the, the context in which it was written. But this book is really written for, uh, it's really written, I would say, if I had to narrow it down to one specific type of person in the United States, I would say it, it is probably, my primary market is probably white women. Uh, and progressive white women to boot, uh, but it's really written in general for for white Americans, not black Americans. Now, there's a lot that you can learn in this book as an African American. Uh, there's a lot that you will appreciate, particularly the survey says, because those things that we think that people think about us as African American men, they actually told us in an anonymous survey. They use real language to tell you what they think about black men. They use real language, you know, to tell you what they thought about Obama. Uh, and so they were very real in the, in the poll that we took. And, and so 
Those are things that African-Americans, I think, can uh, appreciate and learn from. We can appreciate and learn from the prescriptions for progress. But this book is really written for allies. And so if you are a, uh, a white woman who's living in Kansas and you believe that what's happening with African-American men in Harlem, New York, is unconscionable, then the book is for you. If you are a white male who's living in Berkeley, California, and you think what's going on in West Palm Beach, Florida, when it comes to law enforcement treatment of African-American men, this book is for you. And so it, you are right. This is an American problem because at the end of the day, we're only as strong as our weakest link. And one of the points that uh, the fictional Lady Justice brings, brings out over and over and over again in the book is the concept of if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. And so it is in America's best economic interest to to strengthen the plight of African-American men. I mean, it, it only makes sense, you know, for us to make sure that we have our brothers out there working, contributing to the economy, uh, contributing to making our society a more peaceful and productive place to live. That only benefits everybody. And so this is not just about black folk. And so if, if there is someone out there who's thinking, well, this isn't going to impact me, the hell it's not. Because, you know, if when when black america is suffering then the whole country suffers when you know when we don't have equality for everybody then we really don't have equality for anybody and so i appreciate you bringing out the point uh the fact that this is really a book for america and its own issues awesome you know I want, and I, uh, let me uh ask you this uh, what what was your favorite chapter to go, to uh explore to write what was your favorite chapter that you had in the book Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I've got, as you know, I've got so many. I've got, you know, born with a birthmark. Don't they all look alike? Uh, I even have a chapter called Motisa, uh, which deals with uh, African-American stereotypes. I would say probably the chapter in Motisa, uh, which deals with, with stereotypes, uh, and it actually covers the life of a gentleman by the name of Andre Showell. And so Andre is a he is a White House correspondent for BET News uh, who is born and raised in Baltimore. And so the book covers the whole concept of marketing media and memes and how they shape the African-American narrative. <clears throat> and I would say just learning for example, when we when we dealt with, I dealt with the whole concept of debunking stereotypes, and so learning learning like the genesis of stereotypes, for example, was something that was really eye opening for me, and I learned a lot. And if, if I could just share with you this, I found, for example, you know how uh, black folk get this knack of you know black folk love watermelon, mm -hmm. uh, and we love watermelon because everybody loves watermelon. Let's be clear about that. It's right. great fruit, right? But the challenge I found, here's, here's where it got mixed up and it became a racialized thing. It was after 1865 when African Americans were released from that terrible institution of slavery. And we were, we were basically put out and said, go figure it out. Make your money on your own. And so black folks started planting and growing watermelons. And they began, they be, they began to become rich off of it. And they began to, to develop real wealth in planting and selling watermelon. 
And so in the South, what the farmers did to combat the fact that they had this, uh, these new African-American entrepreneurs who were out here making a boatload of money, you know, who had once been enslaved just months prior, and now they're challenging them for economic prowess in the South. And so what they did, they demonized watermelon. They said, if, if you eat watermelon, then you must be lazy. You must be, you know, and so they started putting all of these pejoratives on the fruit. But it had nothing to do with race and had everything to do with the fact that black people were making money selling watermelon. And so just learn. I had no idea. Wow. You know, I went, I went to a black college. I had no right. idea. And so just writing and learning about those types of things gave me a new appreciation really for the, the level depth of what some people are willing to do to maintain a crumbling institution of white supremacy. Man. Wow. Okay. I'm going to, I need to tell everybody about that part alone because I mean, I don't, I don't like watermelon personally, not because of the stereotype. I just don't like it, but man, now people who are feel ashamed to eat it, like, no, this is our fruit. Anyway, sorry. That that was, Man, that was surprising. I went out and bought <laughs> I went out and bought three watermelons after I learned that just because. <laughs> awesome. Well listen, Elvin, I want to thank you, man. I want to give you a chance to give any final words, uh, uh anything, a call to action, something, but then also tell people pe- tell people how they can support you, how they can uh, get a copy of the book and maybe you have something coming up they can go and, and be a part of. Outstanding. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, let me just say that I this was a passion project for me as a as a serial entrepreneur. I put the book out myself. I wrote it myself. I published it actually through my wife. I partnered with my wife to publish it. And so why is that important? It's important because we're the ones making all the money on this. I've signed bad book deals before, right? Right. Where you do all of this work and then you get 10% of your, of your intellectual property. Well, from a passionpreneur perspective, this book was really important to make sure that it was produced right, but that I had full ownership and I reserved all of my rights. And so I just wanted to add that in there. But I would just say, for those who are interested in purchasing the book, uh, you can find it anywhere online where books are sold. I would encourage you to go to Amazon if you put in uh, the word still invisible. Uh, the book will pop right up. We've got a hard cop- a hardcover. We've got a paperback. We've got uh, two online, a Kindle and an ebook edition. And so it's available in all types of formats. But the call to action is this. I want to encourage your listeners to take the challenge. Buy two books. Buy one for yourself, but also buy one for someone who you might know who either knows, likes, or loves an African-American male. If you know somebody who, who just loves black people or just wants to know more about what it means in terms of the African-American male experience, take the challenge. Buy two books on Amazon. Awesome, man. That that was great. I, I like that. I'm going to start using that for my own books, too. Buy two. <laughs> so that was <laughs> that was great Elvin man as usual uh, awesome I, I love what you're doing and uh, I'm glad you were able to find time to get on the show with us hopefully uh, this message will continue to resonate we can get you on stages everywhere to just uh, like you said and, you know share this with the people who really need to hear it if you're an ally if you know that hey, you want to do more uh, this is the kind of book this is what you've been looking for this is your handbook your textbook on how to really uh, help and how to uh, learn about what it is that we go through. Uh, So thank you so much, Elvin, for being on the show today. 
Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you next time. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Passionpreneur Podcast. If you liked it, tell someone else about it. Go ahead and share it out. And also make sure you click that subscribe button and follow us and listen to every week's episode. I am your host, Ryan C. Green. You can reach me at www.ryancgreen.com. Follow me on all social media at Raji Speaks. I look forward to working with you, talking to you soon. And just remember, if the best part about going to work is getting off of work, it's time to become a passionpreneur. Thank you.